There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark, one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish leader, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on the fact God's light came from the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so so that others can see that they are doing what God wants them. This is the word of God. Thank you. Okie dokie. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I've got to say, um, I think it's wonderful over the last couple of months with us being in between ministers and stuff, people have been stepping forward, like Steve said this morning, and doing different things. I never ever thought I'd be here um, doing a little message. Um, But... I want to say thank you for the opportunity and um, many churches wouldn't give you the opportunity. I think it's lovely how we're able to have the opportunity. So thank you. Okay, so I'm doing Nicodemus. Thank you for reading it for me. Um, The reason why I'm doing Nicodemus is because it's one of my favourite passages in the Bible. Um, 
basically because I can relate to it. It's similar to my testimony, and um, I can relate to Nicodemus, you see. So later on, I might tell you my testimony as well. I'll try and... It is a massive testimony. I, I won't go on forever. I'll try and shorten it down. So, um, But that's why I thought I'd do Nicodemus. Okay, so we read from John 3, verses 1 to 21. And um, if I were to give this uh, message a title, I would call it Almost There But Not Far Enough. And in brackets I've put, you must be born again. So Nicodemus, I feel he was almost there, but not quite enough. And so what do we know about Nicodemus? I know uh, most of you know about uh, Nicodemus, it's quite a familiar passage. Um, Nicodemus, he was a man of the Pharisees. Now, the word Pharisee means purity. It comes from a root word meaning holy. Now, Nicodemus, he was really religious. He was clever. He was important. Very highly respected in his community. Um, there was no way you could keep up with him in his knowledge of religion. Um, almost the tragedy was that his salvation kind of depended on it in a way. Um, like his lifestyle, um, it was almost like good works, if you like. Um, but he was really clever and really religious. Um, Nicodemus, he was also a teacher of Israel. He wasn't just a Pharisee, he was a ruler. He was the leader of all the Jews. Um, you know, he was Israel's teacher. And in verse 10, I mean, I'll, we will come back to this after, but in verse 10 it says, Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher and yet you don't understand these things. And there's a guy called William Hendrickson and he kind of translates this verse and he says, you, the widely recognized and very prominent teacher of the highly favored Israel. So basically, you, the widely recognized, he was recognized by the whole of Israel, not just his neighbors and his family and people in the community. He was Israel's teacher. Um, that's how, you know, he was really, really important. Um, he was an expert in his field, if you like. Um, and... But yeah, even though he was an expert in his field, um, there were certain things he didn't understand. And I think in verse 1, it quite clearly shows because the very first sentence in verse 1, in verse 1 it says, After dark, one evening, um, a Jewish religious leader named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to speak to Jesus. So he came at dark, he came in the evening, he came at night time, and yet he was a religious person, and he wanted to speak to Jesus at night time, and I don't think that's an, a, an a, a, can't say it, a coincidence. Um, I, I think he, he knew he was going at night time, he didn't want anybody to see him, he didn't want to look silly. And, um, and what I like about verse one as well, I've underlined, um, quite a few things. So in the first sentence it says, after dark one evening, a Jewish religious leader named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to speak to Jesus. So there's four things there showing us how important he is. Jewish, religious, leader, a Pharisee. And then in verse 2 it says, um, a Pharisee, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to speak with Jesus. Teacher, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are proof enough that God is with you. And I've underlined that we all know. So they all knew. They all, you know, it was obvious that they all knew. And it was obvious that Nicodemus knew. Um, but even though it was obvious he knew, there was still certain things he didn't understand. There was still... 
the most important thing he was missing out on, uh, the most essential thing. It was obvious he did know a lot, but there was also a great deal that he didn't know, the most essential thing at all he didn't understand. And he was asking Jesus. And um, and this is why um, I can relate to Nicodemus, because before I became a Christian, I do believe it's possible to come to church year after year, week after week. It's possible to come every Sunday and put your mask on. And I'll be honest, I do that most Sundays. Most Sundays, that's why the children aren't with me today, because most Sundays I've been screaming at the kids to get ready or whatever. And then I come into church and put my mask on. And, um, you know, and I do believe it's obvious to be religious, to praise God, lift our hands in worship, say the Lord's Prayer, but yet not truly know the Lord as your own personal saviour. We we can worship God without knowing God, if you like. Um, we can all have that head knowledge. We can have Bible knowledge and head knowledge, but yet we can still be outside the kingdom. And I feel Nicodemus was a bit like this. Um, he he was religious. It tells us so many times he was religious. And if I'm honest, I hate that word, religion. It bugs me, proper bugs me, because to me it's it's not religion. It, my faith is a relationship with the living God. It's a daily walking faith. And um, my flatmate, Natalie, um, uh, when she used to live with me and uh, live with her for about five years in Birkenhead, and she used to say to her friends, oh, you know what, I, I, I just better warn you, my flatmate's a bit religious, you know, she's she's friendly with the man upstairs it's almost like he's an imaginary friend and she used to say it to people all the time and I used to be like is that how you see me and afterwards I thought no I'm not going to take that as an insult I'm going to take it as a compliment because after a bit she realized it wasn't just religion it was a a a daily relationship walking with God and um and that's how I feel um you know, Nicodemus was missing out on this, and I believe Nicodemus, he was a man who needed to be born again. And um, I'll just read you this little bit. So, um, we all know that God has sent you to teach us your miraculous signs and proof enough that God is with you. Jesus replied, I assure you, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, The truth is, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of spirit. Human can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives new life from heaven. So don't be surprised at my statement that you must be born again, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. What do you mean, Nicodemus said? Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, but yet you don't understand these things. I won't read any more, but basically, Nicodemus is coming to Jesus at night and saying, I just don't get it. What what does it mean? How can I be born again? And Jesus is trying to explain to Nicodemus that... Basically, you need to leave that old life behind over there. You need to leave that old life behind and start anew with me. You know, just, you need to leave it behind and start afresh over here in the spirit. And, um, the reason why I can identify with Nicodemus is because this is where my testimony comes in. Um, okay, I'll try and keep it short. Um, so I was brought up in a Christian family. Um, my dad was a minister. Well, he was a teacher as well, but he was a pastor. And um, basically, as a teenager, 
I was quite, quite angry. Um, I didn't want to know God. I didn't want to know people. Um, Christians I was cross with. I was cross with the church. Um, and I was a bit angry, if I'm honest. Um, I always believed in God. I never, ever doubted his existence. I always believed. But I knew I didn't want to follow. I knew I didn't want to walk in the Christian ways. I wanted to walk my own way. And um, my brother was a bit the same. And when we got to, like, fourth or fifth year, my dad would say, right, okay, guys, you come to church with us in the morning, in the evening. When you get to, like, fourth year, you don't have to come. And um, it, we lived in Chorley, and the church was in Blackpool. But when I became a fourth year, so Stephen stopped going. And then when I became a fourth year, um, I uh, always knew I wanted to work with children and wanted to be a nursery nurse. So I was doing doing everything I could to build up my CV to get experience and the church at the time had a play group Sunday morning, Sunday uh, um, in the morning and in the afternoon sessions and so every half term I would go and work in this play group and I'd help out in Sunday school and I'd help out in the creche and then when I became a fourth year I thought oh I don't have to go to church anymore Sunday evenings and they put me in charge of the creche and I was in charge of the creche and I was able to like you know do the activities and stuff so I ended up still coming to church because I wanted to be in charge of the crash and then one day I was absolutely gutted because no kids turned up and I just remember thinking oh I could be sat at home watching the wonder years with my brother and uh, I've got to stay in the meeting and listen to my dad and I was gutted I remember just thinking I don't believe this and um but the one thing he said, I couldn't tell you what he preached on but the one thing he said what really stuck with me was um, he's almost there but the point is being almost there is not far enough You've, you're nearly there but being nearly there is not enough and at the time I didn't understand I didn't understood what it meant I just knew all I can tell you was it was like a burning sensation here and I just knew wow that word is for me but I don't get what it means but I, I just knew something anyway uh, to cut a long story short I got into Blackpool College I did my NNEB uh, I was coming home on the train back to Chorley and I remember thinking to myself there were 38 people on my course and I made friends with one friend and she was lovely she was called Hannah was still friends today and but I just remember coming home on the train thinking out of 38 people I made friends with one friend and she was a born-again Christian she went to Bible Pattern Church in Blackpool and um, looking back now I know that's not a coincidence I know you know God was working on me and drawing me to himself and um, yeah well she invited me on like a summer youth club uh, so I went on a, a youth club with her church and we were just walking around Keswick and um, some of the teenagers were saying so where do you stand what do you believe and I said well I do believe but I'm not a Christian and I remember this like guy in his 20s he was walking behind me and he said of course you're a Christian. He said, I know your mum and dad, Bob and Rita. He said, of course you're a Christian. You are a Christian. How can you say that? Don't be so silly. And I never, I just let him say what he wanted to say and I carried on walking home. And I went in, uh, when I got home, my dad were brewing up in the kitchen. And I went, dad, am I a Christian? This bloke at this youth camp said I was. And he just kind of made his brew and went, well, you're almost there, love. You're almost there. And I, and I said to him, but I remember a year ago, you said in your sermon, I don't know what you spoke of, but you said almost there is not far enough. And I've since found out what he did speak on. And I'm not going to read it to you because... I, 
I'm aware of the time. But it's in Mark 12, verse 28 to 34. And basically what it's about, it's about a scribe. When the scribe went to see Jesus, he basically said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And um, I'll just read the last verse to you. Um, realizing this man's understanding, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask any more questions. So even Jesus says it, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And um, just going back to Nicodemus, you know, he, he was almost there, but he wasn't quite there. There was something missing. There was something he didn't understand. There were, you know, there was something he, he just didn't get. It was like he was blinded to it. And um, so, anyway, my, my testimony, I'll carry on. Um, so, basically, uh, mum and dad had to take two years out of black pool for one thing or another and they had two years of absence and then they went to a church in Bamber Bridge and it was the Assemblies of God church and some of you might have heard me talk about this church, I still go in the evening from time to time and um, I got saved in that church actually and one New Year's Eve me and my friend Joanne were meant to be going out partying and clubbing and my mum and dad invited the whole church back to their house and um, I, I just so didn't want to be there, I didn't want to know and I was like, I'm not going. Anyway, uh, me and Joanne couldn't go clubbing for one thing and another and things didn't happen and we ended up being at Joanne's house and we were bored out of our brains and Joanne said, come on, let's go to your mum and dad's. There's a bit of a party on. Let's go and meet everybody. I was like, oh, they're just in my head. Typical stereotype, born again believers. I didn't want to be part of that. I didn't want anything to do with it. And I was like, oh no, they're just going to be boring. It's just going to be miserable and it's pop and crisp. There's no alcohol. It's just, ah, oh, I don't want to go. And uh, and she was like, come on, come on, we'll go, let's go. And anyway, we went and um, it turned out we had a really good night and we made lots and lots of friends. And um, they weren't what I expected them to be in my head. They'd just come back from a church skiing holiday. Some of them were snowboarders, some of them were skiers. I was fanatical about skiing at the time. I loved skiing. And I was like, wow, they're actually trendy, cool people. They do, they're not what I thought they were. And um, so we got friendly with them and they started inviting us out on social events like Pizza Hut. Uh, cinema, you know, that kind of thing, temping bowling. And then in about August, I think it was, in Lancaster, we went away to Lancaster for the weekend. And it was a bit like, um, a bit like, what's it called, spring harvest, that type of thing. And I remember uh, one Saturday night when everybody had gone to bed, uh, John Whittam and Sue was in the kitchen and they were talking to me. And they were saying, I don't get it, Deb. You say you believe in this God. You say you believe. You say that you believe that God sent his son to die on the cross so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be saved. But yet you don't want to follow. Why is that? And I just sat there and I just gave excuse after excuse after excuse. And my two main excuses was, I'm a bit embarrassed to say, my first excuse was, I didn't want to give my mum and dad the satisfaction of becoming a Christian, if I'm honest. Um, the thought, because I was this cocky teenager, yes, I believe, but it's not for me. It's for you. Keep it over there. So if I'm honest, that was massive for me. The thought of my mum and dad having the satisfaction of me becoming a Christian was huge. Um, and the second one was, I didn't want to live under rules and regulations. I, before I became a Christian, that's how I saw God. I saw him as like, da-da-da-da, rules and regulations. And, um, and then I gave more 
of excuses and more of excuses. And John Whittam just said to me, he went, wait, Deb, just wait. He said, you know what? He said, all you give me is excuse after excuse after excuse. He said, every excuse is like a building block. He said, it's like a brick in the wall. And he said, you're putting a brick in the wall. And he said, before you know it, there's a massive wall between you and God. And you can just look over the top. He said, this wall is massive. And he said, it's stopping you from knowing God, from having a relationship with him. He said, I want you to just imagine getting a big hammer and knocking all the bricks down. Just take them all down and just stand at the foot of the cross and just, you know, he said, just knock it all down. So that's what I did. And um, they both prayed with me that night. And that was the night I asked Jesus into my life. And anybody who knows me really well will know I am rubbish with dates. I can't remember dates. I don't remember my husband's birthday, anniversary, sorry. If it's if you get anything from me, it's because it's on the calendar in my kitchen with all the dates on. I'm rubbish at dates. But the only date what really sticks into my mind is the day I got saved. It's like it's tattooed on my brain. And it was the 20, 29th of August, 1993, at 10 past two in the morning. And that date, it, that's the only date what which is clear to me because it was massive. It was a massive turnaround. Even though I was brought up in a Christian family, the change was massive for me. And I always remember a guy saying in his testimony once, once he became a Christian, he felt like his life was turned upside down, inside out, and back to front. And when I heard him say that, I thought, wow, that's me. That is exactly how I felt when I gave my life to the Lord. And um, it's interesting, really, because those bricks which I was putting up in my wall, um, the rules and regulations one um, was a bit of a big thing for me. And that following week, so I got saved on the Saturday, and then on the Thursday I had a driving lesson, and I did my driving lesson. It took me about 18 months to pass my test. And um, the driving instructor said to me, he went, wow, he said, that's the first time in 12 months um, you've not sworn or cursed. He said, what's up with you? He said, you've gone a whole hour without swearing. I didn't even realise. I didn't even know. I didn't tell him there and then. Towards the end, I told him I became a Christian. But there and then, I just kind of smiled and got out the car. And um, and he noticed. And that's when I realised that, wow, my relationship with God isn't about rules and regulations. It, it, yeah, there is certain stuff I won't do because I'm a Christian. But it's not because it's rules and regulations. There's certain things I won't do as a Christian because I love my Heavenly Father and I want to please him. I want him to be proud of me. I want him to say good and faithful servant. And it's a bit like a marriage if your husband or your wife says you know what, I'd really rather if you didn't go there with that person. You don't do it out of love for your husband or your wife or if they say will you come to this do with me. I know you don't want to come but please will you come. You do it out of love for them. And that's how I see my relationship with God. There are certain things I don't do because I love him so much and I just want to please him. It's not because it's rules and regulations. And the other massive one was the satisfaction thing. I didn't want to give my mum and dad the satisfaction. And I was coming home on the minibus and I was thinking, oh, I'm going to have to tell them. I'm going to have to tell them. And uh, even if they don't say, I told you so, I'm going to see it in their faces. And I just don't want to, I just don't want that situation. Anyway, I went home and there's dad brewing up in the kitchen as always. And I just said, mum, dad, I've got something to tell you. And they both, they just threw their arms around me, give me a massive cuddle. And they just said, I know, we know. And that's all they said. And it was, it's never, I've never even told them since. You know, I've not actually said, mum and dad, I've become a Christian. They just said, 
something. No. And so that brick, that situation was taken away as well. And everything was taken away. And um, I just, getting back to Nicodemus, I just want to read John 3, verses 19 to 21. Um, Their judgment is based on this fact. The light from heaven came into the world, but they loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. They hate the light because they want to sin in the darkness. They stay away from the light, for the fear of their sins will be exposed, and they will be punished. But those who do what is right come to the light gladly, to everyone can see that they are doing what God wants. And that was me. I didn't want to come to the light. I always believed in God. I always believed that Jesus died on the cross for me to take away my sin. But I didn't want to follow. I didn't want to come into the light. I didn't want to repent. Yes, I did believe. I was almost there. I wasn't there. Do you get it? I was almost there, but almost there wasn't quite enough. And when Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus, he was basically saying, you know what? Yes, you are clever. You are intelligent. Yes, you are religious. You are almost there, but there's something you're missing. There's just one thing you're missing. And what you need to do is leave that old man behind. Leave that flesh behind over there. Start Leave your old life behind. Come over here in the spirit and start a new life with me. And just, you know, Jesus died on the cross. God sent his one and only son so that we can be forgiven you know so that it can take all our rubbish away and we can just come and have a relationship with our heavenly father and what i want to say as well um you know sometimes i think the blood just cleansed me on the day i got saved back in 1993 and the blood is a powerful thing jesus's blood washes us free and but you know what it didn't just cleanse me back in 1993 the blood keeps on cleansing. He keeps on forgiving us. He keeps on loving us. That old man will still rise up from time to time. But we need to put him down. We need to put it over there and come, leave the flesh over there and come back over here, back in God's presence. And I just want to say as well, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, you guys, Megan Beth, and I'm not saying that, um, oh, bad way, I can go out and do da-da-da-da and I can disobey my parents or whatever because God will forgive me anyway if I just say, sorry and please don't get me wrong I'm not saying that but I am saying we're all human and even though if we do become Christians we're still going to sin we're still going to fail and let God down I know I fail him every single day but I don't want to and I know that old man rises up in me all the time but Jesus keeps on loving us and he keeps on forgiving us. Being a Christian isn't about rules and regulations and just being good. He just loves us so, so much. He just wants us to follow him and he just wants us, you know, to just be in his presence. And um, I was hoping there was a video, but I don't think we can play it. Um, there's a video called Love Ran Red and I just wanted you to listen to the words, if it's possible. Is it on? Oh, nice one. Thank you. Now, this song... I um I couldn't listen to this song without crying a couple of years ago. So much so when it came on in the car, Joanna would say, skip it, mummy, fast forward it, it's going to make you cry. I can actually listen to it now without crying. And I would just like you to listen to the words and just see what it means to you. Thank you for listening and thank you for having me. <laughs> 